0: welcome to the See Deep podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. Y'all, we are talking about an important topic this month, healthy relationships. We covered the marriage relationship in July, and this month we've talked about parent-child relationships and neighbors, and now the elderly. And here with me to help us talk about this subject is my friend and author, Isabel Tom. Isabel is the author of The Value of Wrinkles, a young perspective on how loving the old will change your life. She is also a wife, mom, daughter, and forever grandchild who is passionate about serving the older adult population. Between growing up in an intergenerational household and working in the field of aging, Isabel has over 35 years of experience with older adults. Her grandparents, who lived until 98 and 102, nice ripe old ages, had a Mm -hmm. profound impact on her life. Professionally, she has over 13 years of experience working at reputable healthcare organizations in the senior living and hospice care field. She holds a master's in public health from the University of Maryland, College Park, and she is married to her husband, Kevin, and they are blessed with three little ones who keep life
1: fun. Welcome to the show, Isabel. Hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so blessed to be here. Well, it's a joy, and you know, you attended my alma mater.
0: I graduated from University of Maryland at College Park as well, but probably... I didn't know
1: it. I think yeah. you
0: mentioned that before. Actually, now I remember. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? You just never know, but but uh, it was many moons ago, so I'm assured <laughs> that it's probably before you went. I graduated in 91, so... Um, <laughs> So I am older. Hey, did you laugh at me being older? I just want to know, right? (laughs) So the scripture for this episode is taken from Leviticus 19.32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So God wants older people to be honored. More than once, He commands it here in this verse, but our culture is more about shaming us as we age. I love how you value and treasure older people, Isabel, how you love them and the stories each person has to tell. You share in chapter one, how it wasn't always that way. What changed and how did you come to cherish the older generation?
1: Yeah, it definitely wasn't always that way. And you know, the reason I'm so passionate about this is because it's it's a lesson that God has taught me and um, one, one very important way that he has blessed me. And I would say um, the way that my view of older adults changed. It really didn't come till later on. So I grew up living with my grandparents. They were around all the time. I didn't move out of the house till I was 26. And for most of my childhood and as a teenager, I think they were just there. And I think now that I'm older, once I became an adult, and you know, even now with each year, I come to appreciate that I had my grandparents living in the house with me. Mm. Um, but the turning point was really when I was in my 20s, I had started working in the senior care field. And so I was observing and seeing a lot of other older people around. And it was also a time as a young adult where a lot of my friends were moving away and, you know, just transitioning to new jobs or, you know, moving out of town for grad school, whatever relationships. And I was attending a lot of send-offs and God kind of just hit me with the idea that. You know it was going to all these send-offs, but my grandparents, they needed a send-off. And my grandparents were in their 90s at the time. And I never thought of I never thought of our relationship that way. I just thought I had grandparents in my house. It's really nice. I, you know, I have loving people around me, but God really convicted me to see that it was my job to help give my grandparents a proper send off and that he had given me this kind of noble calling to walk them to the gates of heaven.
0: Wow. And what an awesome privilege. And, and you have worked in hospice, right? Yes. Quite a bit. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my mom had said when my stepdad passed away, that hospice workers are angels, just such a crucial, important role that you play you know, you you had me in the opening chapter of your book because it's it's that wasn't a white hair, was it? Yeah. <laughs> and I wrote about this in my book, Shame Off You as well. This there's this shame we can feel for the number we turn, you know, if we subscribe yeah. to our surrounding culture. And one reason for this is appearance. There's this idolatry of the appearance of youth and a disdain for wrinkles in our culture. You know, I've even heard young people saying, oh, I have a wrinkle, you know. And if I'm honest, when I see new wrinkles or gray hairs, I can want to cover both of them up. You know, I'm even getting my hair highlighted yesterday in full disclosure and transparency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it was interesting, even just a couple weeks ago, I noticed my middle part, you know, wherever you part your hair, you just see new gray hairs and there's this massive patch of gray. And I thought, you know, I'm okay with that. And that was such a a sweet moment for me to be okay with Mm -hmm. that. It's like, you know, but I do like it my hair highlighted. It's kind of a, it makes me feel brighter, you know, but I Mm -hmm. realized I don't, I don't do it out of shame anymore. I think... Earlier on, even in my 30s, um, I used to feel like, oh, wow, I have a couple gray hairs. I got to cover that up. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. But I may stop at some point, you know. But I think this is handed down to us in our culture, right? H- how do we change the culture in this regard?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel for all the people, you know, I, I, I wrote in my book about how I highlighted my hair when I turned turned 30, just to do something new. (laughs) Um, And, you know, even when I see white hairs, I'm tempted to uh, not even tempted, but I may pull them out. And I think like, when I really think about it, it's because our, our society Views Aging as a really horrible thing in terms of changing our perspective Like one of the ways we can do that is also watch the way that we talk about getting old and the way that we talk about older people So one way that I think we do this very often is we say i'm getting old and I catch myself doing it, too But when we say that basically we never mean a good thing, you know We're basically saying that we're going downhill, you know, and so we have to remember that that affects other people People. And and if somebody older was listening to us, they might not acknowledge it, but it would shame them. It would make them feel ashamed of getting older. And so all of that together, it, it does create a culture that sometimes we're not aware of that shames older people.
0: Mm. So true. I think it's what you just said really is an awareness and we just can go with the culture because that's what we are steeped in. Uh, big time steeped in, but I think the title of your book points to another key reason why there is this shaming and a disconnect between the aged and the young. There is the distance created between generations naturally, but our culture does not value the elderly. The worth of individuals in our culture is based upon their ability to contribute. The young and the strong are favored, but the contributions of older people, their wisdom and experiences are a huge benefit to the rising generations, you said in your book that our negative views of the aged poison the individuals around us and can even endanger the adult, the older adult population. Can you expound on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think our views, they start to seep into An older person's perception of themselves so like I was talking about before about the way that you use your words um but just that awareness when we are more aware then we can um we can value the older people in our lives more and for most people that's going to be their parents or their grandparents but I mean even just think about you know I'm a mom of young kids so I hear this um conversation where a lot of times we value the older people in our lives usually our parents based on their babysitting ability you know and this is based on what they can do um and it almost seems that a lot of older people you know they're they're they we don't value them based on you know their wisdom based on their experience and um we start looking at them for what they can contribute to us.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and so I think we just have to be really careful of that, especially as, especially as parents with grandparents, because I think we can be very hard on grandparents for not doing this and that, and not doing things a certain way. And, or if they're they're not available to babysit those types of things um, and not just treasuring them for their past, you know, what mm. they've gone through too. Um, and seeing that they just have a lot to bring to the table.
0: And, you know, uh, I'm on the cusp probably in the next few years of becoming a grandparent myself. <laughs> I realize this because my oldest child is getting married
1: Aww. this December.
0: And, you know, it just amazes me how fast time flies. And when you're in the throes of parenting little ones, it feels like it's going to go on forever. But, you yes. know, we all have each other, <laughs> you know? And you also mentioned that a decline in health can lead to a decline in value. And how, as a society, we have a poor understanding of the older person. Your book is a help in this regard. What counsel do you have to help younger generations to better understand the older generation and to also cherish them?
1: Yeah, so I kind of learned this working in the hospice care field, And, you know, when I first started working with seniors was right out of college. And one of my very first jobs was in senior fitness. And so I was actually around all the healthy older adults. And even at that time, I think my view was that I would, I preferred to work with the healthier people. It was just nicer. Right. And I didn't really value people. I I didn't really want to work with those who were more frail because, honestly, if I really thought about it, I, I, I didn't value people who, you know, weren't as healthy. And so I I realized this when I started working in the hospice care field, that we kind of like just push people to this, push people to the side as they Mm -hmm. decline. And we don't even think, you know, they're not as verbal. They may not be as active. They're not the center of attention. And so physically they may not be able to contribute as much but we start to think that you know they're either just not there, there's nothing left to them. And I think that's our view of older people sometimes that they, their job is maybe just to get older and eventually die. But mm-hmm. in working in the hospice care field and you know, experiencing the death of three people, my grandparents and my dad um, all passed away while I was working in the hospice care field. So this really hit home to me. To me, there were people they weren't just patients. They weren't, mm-hmm. you know, they, they weren't no longer valuable simply because they were declining. They, to me, they were people who really poured into my life. And so I think we have to remember that even though people verbally may not be able to speak or maybe physically they're not as strong, they are still thinking, feeling people. They still have desires. They still have preferences. They still have things that bring them joy and that they are people um so just to remember that and it's not as easy for them as people get older to express their emotions um, because sometimes they just don't feel that they have the space to do that um and in our culture i think they don't feel like people are listening sometimes so they just kind of quiet up and they don't want to be a burden
0: And yeah, thank God that he, he views us each as precious, not based on what we can contribute, you know, but based on who he created us to be. And each one of us has a special purpose. One thing that might have contributed to this chasm, I think, is the negativity that is ascribed to the older generation. You know, we all kind of know that stereotype, the Archie Bunker, like they might be grumpy. But let's face it, we all can be grumpy as we get older, right? Or even just in general life, people can have that uh, personality. Health issues and life's sorrows can chip away at our worth and our joy if we let them. One thing that can help is to seek You know, can help us is to seek to understand their situation. You mentioned seeking to understand reasons for their, as you put it, lemon behavior. Yeah. And scheduling time with them as well as giving them grace. You also share seven reasons why older adults can be lemony, as you call it. Can you share on that?
1: Yeah, so for me, the lemon in my life was my grandpa and I was his favorite and he treated me very well. But I noticed you know, as I got older, he was really mean to other people and then an uh, occasion he would be mean to me and Because I was working professionally in the field at the same time, I started to learn professionally from a more like technical standpoint, what might be going on for him. And when you work in a field that has to do with end of life, you talk about pain a lot. And looking back, I realized that he was probably experiencing or he was experiencing a lot of pain. He was in his late Mm nineties and You know, um, first of all, there's the physical pain. There are things that are going on inside an older person's body. Maybe from the outside, we can't see it. But those types of things could be affecting them. Um, Emotionally, there could be a lot of things going on. There's a lot of loss you know, in an older person's life, they, they may um, experience the death of their spouse, their siblings, the people that they were closest to, you know, and for me, I, I just imagine how hard that would be, you know, even if I had my kids still alive, let's say my sisters who I'm close with, and my parents, and my husband, and my best friends, like my girlfriends, if I had to watch them and, and experience the death of their lives one by one, that is actually considered traumatic if you were looking at it from a, a, an objective standpoint. If you were looking at a younger person, that's traumatic to experience that much death. And so that can leave people feeling pretty off. and um, we just really need to give them a lot of TLC um, because there are so many different factors in a person as they're aging. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's, it's hard.
0: Yes. Well, I see that with my mom who is uh, in her later seventies and it's hard, you know, and and she wants, it's like people don't really want to hear about, you know, health problems, but I try to be very intentional about asking her, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, and being compassionate. Um, I know from my autoimmune diseases uh, that when they are active, it's not fun at all. And so that has given me a little perspective, Uh, But I know it's much harder as you get older. Um, I think that every stage of life has its hard moments, though. You know, you write about that awkward stage you had as a little girl, but you notice that being around the older generation helped you to have a resilience from the rejection you felt as a young girl. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So I like to tell people that I had, it wasn't just a young girl. I I feel like I had the longest story stage known to man. (laughs) So (laughs) I got glasses at age two and I had glasses for a very, very long time and not a great haircut and all of that, you know, was always wearing hand-me-downs. But so I would say from a world's point of view, I never got the recognition of being like a pretty girl. Um, I'm Asian American and typically Asian Americans are considered, you know, Asians are considered very smart. I never got the recognition of being super smart. That was just nothing, you know, I, I never excelled in that area. And so I, I feel like from a world standpoint, I just, I've never excelled at very many things. Oh, um, and so man, I'm right
0: there with you. <laughs> and last one picked whenever they're picking the team, I'm like, dog got it.
1: <laughs> so I, yeah, I just, I, I, that could have really destroyed me. And I think that is something that a lot of, especially girls, um, struggle with boys too, as well, growing up, but you, you want to be recognized. You want that attention, right? But I, I look back and I see that God blessed me so much because he gave me what I say is an extra layer of love and attention. And really, I learned that God loved me through my grandparents, you know, because, um, they were always there and they always looked at me, you know, it didn't matter whether I didn't play on in the game or I sat on the bench. It didn't matter that, you know, nobody called me or nobody thought I was prettiest girl. Nobody asked me out. They didn't know about that part of my life and they didn't seem to care. They just really loved me because I was their grandchild. And so, um, I feel like I actually grew up as a very cheerful person and, um, always knowing that God loved me no matter what. And so that has helped me develop a resilience for life. When I experience rejection from the world, whether it's through work or, um, other people and what they think of me, like I, I feel this, um, this energy and strength because it doesn't, it doesn't knock me over completely. I mean, it does affect me and makes me sad, but it, it I have a resiliency that I feel like God blessed me with through my grandparents.
0: Amen. And, you know, the rejection, I think, is a common theme of just living in this fallen world. And I I dealt with it. It crippled me for a lot of my life until I really embraced that just total acceptance we have in Christ. And isn't it a beautiful thing when we can give it to others? We don't realize how much rejection cripples everybody. And I think the time that the elderly have can make such a difference. But we live in an age where it is rare for multiple generations to live together. How do you propose people find more time to spend with older generations if they don't have family nearby or if they are not exposed to older people often?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I think what I've learned is you don't have to live together in the same house. And a lot of people have often commented to me like, Oh, we don't do that anymore, but I don't think you have to live with them. You can live close by. You can even um, live across the country, but I think it's more a matter of being intentional. And if you're a parent then being intentional and trying to connect the young and the old together, because you realize that having an older person in your child's life is important. And so, you know, now as I'm a parent, I really want my kids' grandparents, but also other people to be able to pour into their lives because I was talking before about that resiliency, right? And we all know we, as adults, we have experienced that rejection. I want my kids to have this resiliency and to know the truth that. God loves them for who they are. They don't have to perform to do it. They don't have to be prettiest to to be loved by God. And I really feel like grandparents can play a huge role in showing that love to their kids. And so I think when we remind the older people in our lives that they are important and, and they have really important roles in our families and communities, like we want them there, um, I think that can make a huge difference because a lot of times as they get older, they I mentioned it before, they don't want to be a burden. So they're not going to impose on your time. They're not, they may not. Um, some of them may if they're, <laughs> depending on their personality, but a lot of older adults just, they, they don't want to interrupt your busy lives. Yeah. They, so we have to invite them in.
0: And I think there's got to be a patience too, because sometimes, you know, maybe older folks might repeat themselves And I think sometimes, you know, we just need to try to know that one day we're going to be older as well. And how do we want to be treated? I directed a children's choir for several years. And one thing I enjoyed doing was taking the choir to minister to nursing and rehab facilities. I figured that if for every concert they gave, there was so much work that went into it that we should just go ahead and share that performance a second time with people who would get a lot of joy from just having them there. And so we came to be known at some of these places, and I oh, I miss it, you know. And the yeah. kids slowly started to be more comfortable with the older people there. You know, first they were a little freaked out sometimes because uh, sometimes the older folks might touch them or like, oh, wow, there's a younger person. And, and now ultimately, I think, though, that both the elderly and the young felt cherished by one another. So, uh, Isabel, it's been such a joy having you here today, and I know next week we're going to dive in a little bit more for how we can better relate to the older generation, but where can people find you?
1: So, they can find me at my website at isabeltom.com. They can find me on Instagram at Isabel C. Tom. They can find me on YouTube at the Value of Wrinkles channel, and on Facebook at Value of Wrinkles, too. So, I'm sure you'll find me somewhere. You can just search Isabel Tom, the Value of Wrinkles.
0: And, you know, that's awesome that your website r- rhymes, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. My husband well, My husband says, you can thank me for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, y'all, listen in next week as we unpack some tips how to relate to the older generation in the second half of our interview. You've been listening to the Seeing Deep Podcast, where we dive into the Word of God for the answers to life's problems. Mm-hmm.